I want to speak from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 6. I'm reading from the New King James Version Bible. It reads as follows. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I hear a good amen there? We know that Paul is the author of this letter to the church in Philippi. Bible historians tell us that he founded this church during his second missionary journey, which is around 51 AD. At that time, Paul had traveled throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia preaching in many different places. But for some reason, when he wanted to go into Asia, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit, as we see him allege in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. He says, after being forbidden by the Spirit not to preach in Asia, then he went to this region. One night, as Paul was sleeping, he saw a vision of a man standing and making a plea to him. This man was in Macedonia, and he makes this plea and says to Paul, come to Macedonia to help us. So in response to this vision, Paul goes to Philippi and founded this church. We are told that this church in Philippi was the very first church that Paul founded in Europe. So when Paul writes a letter, this is many years later what we are reading. Many years later when now he's an old man, he's going towards the end of his ministry, and at this time he is in prison probably in Rome. And the church in Philippi, we are told, it was around now 10 years that it had been established. Much as it was 10 years, it was still fairly a young church. And so Paul writes to this church in Philippi. Now, you know, when you get to a certain age, your understanding of things begins to change and differ. And because he is almost going to the end of his life, the things that he says to these Christians in Philippi are significant things. And that when he went to start this church, he had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to other places. It meant God had a very special plan for these believers in Philippi. 
When you read about them, you find that these believers were a really special kind. Because as you read further, you've discovered that when Paul was in prison, they had seemed to be the only ones who were sending help to him. Some of the other churches were not helping, but they were concerned about Paul, and they are the only ones who communicated with him in his words with regards to giving and receiving. This is where God in return, where Paul in return writes, but my God will supply all your needs according to your riches in glory. The context there was that these Philippian believers had been very generous. It is these ones that he spoke to them and told them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So, you know, this church in Philippi was very special. As you read chapter 1, you note somewhere where Paul talks about his continuous prayer for them and his confidence in them, knowing fully well that they used to obey when he was there with them when he spoke to them. But he says, I'm even confident that even now, even when I'm not with you, you will still continue to obey. He says, even if I'm not with you, continue to obey and to work out your own salvation. Now, Philippi was a Roman uh, 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 colony located in the northeast corner of what we know now as Greece. It was originally founded in the 4th century BC by Philip of Macedon. This is where the name comes in, Macedonia, Philippi. Philip was a father of Alexander the Great. Now, Philippi, we are told, it was really not a big city, but it lay on a very strategic and important trade route, which was called the Via Ignatia. And it was the main highway between Rome and the Eastern Empire. Philippi was mostly Gentile. There were not even enough Jews in this place to start a synagogue. Because we are told in these days, if you only had 10 Jews, just 10 Jews, you could start a synagogue. But this place was predominantly Gentile. Also, it was predominantly pagan. These people were really not followers of Christ. They were not followers of Jehovah God. There was a number of pagan cults that were represented in this, but the dominant religion was the imperial cult, or it was the cult where they worshipped the emperor of Rome. So emperor worship was part and parcel of daily life and public gatherings in the city. This is where Paul, when he even talks about the name of Jesus, he talks about it being raised above all names. And he explains the point that Jesus is Lord of Lords and he's, he's King of Kings. And that is only that name that we should bow to and that we should worship. Can I hear an amen? And so the primary obligation in those days of this, emperor, of, the, of this emperor worship was that people were to hail the emperor as savior and lord. So Paul, in writing this letter, he takes all those things into consideration. And he is really commending these believers in Philippi that you have stayed on the straight and narrow. In this opening chapter, there are kind of four things that he talks about quickly. I want to go through them. Number one, he sends his greetings to the church leadership, which is a very important thing. Number two, he uses in his greeting, he uses the usual greeting of invoking on them grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read the Gospels and even the epistles mostly, you find that this was a standard way of greeting. 
that as you greeted people who are Christian, you invoked on them the peace and the grace of God. And he would even start by writing, grace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he invokes on them peace. And then the third thing he does then, then he starts talking to them about how he always remembers them. He says, you know, I'm missing you guys. You've really left a mark in my life. Not only am I remembering you, he says, I'm constantly praying for you. And then he starts talking then in verse 6 about the confidence that he has in God. To say that even if you are in this gentle place, you are in this place that's not the worshippers of God, even though you are a young church that's about 10 years old, I have the confidence that what God has started in your life, he will bring it to completion. The reason I want to talk about this today, and I've entitled my talk, The God Who Completes What He Started is because you will all remember at the very peak of the coronavirus, we were told around May and June how this virus was going to be destroying a lot of lives here in South Africa. Based on the data that is there around the world, based on the trajectory of how this virus has worked, it was predicted that we're going to lose close to about 500,000 lives. And by the grace of God, God placed it in our hearts, all of us as a body of Christ, to say, you know what, instead of waiting for the virus to come and get us, why don't we pray against it and pray that God will do something? Can I hear an amen? And as we gathered around this country from different churches and we prayed the seven days and after the seven days we felt, why don't we continue another 14 days through the prayer meetings and through the prayer chains and we continued for another 14 days and God began to do something. I said God began to do something. Sometime in July, we started hearing a different tone that came from our Minister of Health. And we started seeing reports coming. Places that they thought were supposed to pick, did not pick as was predicted. Provinces that were supposed to come under some form of attack, things began to change. And now we noticed as the Minister of Health kept coming back and giving reports again and again, it looked like this thing didn't happen the way we thought. We knew that God had begun a good work. Hallelujah. We knew. Yes, it's true. We still continue to lose lives. Even now, there are still people who pass on because of the coronavirus. But let me tell you, it is not as bad as what was said because God had begun a good work. And now here we sit today. I never will forget, I believe it was last week when I heard one of the specialists saying, as we sit now, when we compare with just a month ago, a month ago, the death rate, I think it was in the Eastern, uh, 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 in the Eastern Cape. He said a month ago, uh, we would be sitting with a number 10 times the number that we, of deaths that we see. I think they had, ex they had experienced 250 infections, if I'm not wrong. And he said, if it was just a month ago, we would be sitting with 2,500. The specialist said we are 10 times lower. I'm saying God has begun something. 
And the reason I want to use this scripture is because as of tonight, the church again is uniting in prayer and the church again is saying to God, what you have begun, we pray that you will bring it to completion. We pray that the second wave will not happen, that even when it comes, it will not cause damage like it's supposed to because the God who begins is the God who brings to a conclusion. Can I hear a good amen? Hallelujah. And so Paul, when he writes to these Philippians, he brings across three truths in this first six verses. The first truth is to show how he says we are all partners in the gospel. But the second truth which I want to concentrate on is to say God has begun a good work in you. See, our God is a God who begins a journey. Our God is a God when he starts something, he doesn't abandon it. Our God is a God who finishes what he starts. And not only that, the third truth, Paul says, this God will finish what he started. Now, God always finishes what he starts. We, on the other hand, we have a problem sometimes of not finishing what we start. Our lives sometimes are filled with loose ends. Home improvements that began and they never got completed. Hairstyles that started and never got completed. Books that we began to read that we did not finish. Promises that we made and we didn't keep. Lobola that we paid and we didn't finish. Intentions that we had but we never follow up on it. And so our lives unfortunately are replete with the I would have beens. I should have been. I could have been. Yeah. But the God that we serve is a God who finishes. I said God will finish in your life. Even if your life has been interrupted, God will finish in your life. Hallelujah. So the good news is that God always finishes. And I love the way Paul puts it. He says, being confident. <laughs> Being confident. See, the word confidence speaks of trust and reliance. In fact, Greek scholars tell us that Paul used the strongest language possible. Being confident. This means to be fully and firmly persuaded or convinced. When you check this, there are forms of this word confident that are used in other scriptures. For instance, in Luke 16, 31, this is what, how it reads. It says, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. That is, they would not be convinced. So Paul is entirely convinced of the truth that he said. In other words, this is the language of a man or a woman who has no doubt on the subject matter. I am confident. Paul has this confidence in God because in his past. That's why I am confident. 
I am confident because I have a history with this God. I am confident because many times my back was against the wall, but this God came through for me. That's why I'm confident. I am confident because I am confident because and I've seen him in my life. I'm confident. I have seen him in my children. I'm confident. I'm seeing him in the church. I've seen him in the community. I am confident. I am confident. I am confident. I am confident. That word gives the expression of being fully persuaded. I don't need anybody to tell me anything. I am fully persuaded. Kishore. Kishore. What are you sure of, Paul? He says, he who has begun. So in other words, when God begins something, he has the intention of finishing. And that God brought the numbers down. That God got right in the middle of the peak of the virus and brought it down. That even the scientists are coming up with all kinds of reasons. Some say no, it's because we have a young population. Some say no, it's because maybe we have suffered a lot in the past of many diseases, so now it means now our immune system is geared up. Some are saying no, it's because of the mass. Some are saying no, it is the God who knows how to begin. And that same God who began has no intention. <laughs> I said he has no intention of not finishing what he started. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Give the Lord a big kind of praise because he's that way. Paul says, I'm persuaded that God will perform. I'm persuaded because he started. You see, I was talking with one minister the other day and he said to me something that really, really came through to my heart. And I'm, I'm waiting for us to be fully back to full normal, normal. Like, what a normal, normal? normal, normal. You know, there's levels of normalcy, you know. I'm waiting for that level. And, and I was saying to him, I can't wait the first service when we'll be there, holy normal, normal, without the masks, and we can be able to hug people, and we can be able to come dance in the front. I said, one of the first things I'm going to do on that service is for us to pause for a while in honor of people who have passed. And as a sign of condolences to those who have lost their loved ones, and pray for them. But then we'll move to the second point to ask ourselves, why na sansanakilite? It looks like some of you don't even appreciate that you are still here. Basalana, this virus took out the best of the best. It took out people in the first world. It took out people who were medical people, who had access to everything. It took out people who could have brought the best defenses, the best of everything. Mara, somehow, you are still here. That God has begun what I'm saying. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. That God, that you are still here. 
So I cannot afford to live my life the same way I lived before COVID-19. I've got to have a different way of living. I've got to have a different sense of agency. I've got to have a different sense of purpose. I've got to have a different sense of commitment. Because when God begins, he's got something up his sleeve. Can I hear an amen? Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work will perform it. Now, in the margin it says he will perform. But in the Greek it says he will finish. And that word means he will carry it out forward to its completion. We are told that it is an intensive form of a word. Meaning God will carry it out to the end. And that word appears in many other passages in the Bible. In Luke 13, 32, it's, it, it, the expression there, it says, I will do cures. In Romans 15, 28, it, it's, it's, it's captured as, when I have performed this. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it talks about perfecting holiness. In 2 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, so he would also finish in you. In 2 Corinthians 8, 11, it says he will perform the doing of it. In Galatians 3, 3, it says, are you now made perfect by the flesh? In Hebrews 8, 5, it says when he was about to make a tabernacle, that is to complete a tabernacle. And in Hebrews 9, 6, it says, accomplish this service. In 1 Peter 5, 9, it says, we are accomplished in your brethren. So when this word appears, it appears in these verses and nowhere else. And in this particular instance, it means God will carry on the work which he has begun and he will carry it to completion. Which means this, God will not leave any business of his unfinished. It means when God commences, he will not abandon. How oh, I love this. It means God will finish. God will perform. Let me give you a few examples, Barcelona, of the God who finishes. Very often when God comes to our lives and inspires a dream and talks to us about something, we sometimes don't realize that that he started it, he's going to finish I've realized as I've read the Bible that the only way for things not to be finished is either when we become disobedient, when we don't follow through, or when we allow the devil to discourage us in what God has told us. But that God came to you, it means God already has concluded everything. We know that God always finishes before he starts. The Bible says that you have been called to do the good works that were preordained for you to walk in them. So even before you were born, God had already determined that there are certain things that you're going to do in your life that you're going to achieve. Therefore, you were not born to find what to do. You were born to start what was already predetermined even before your mom fell pregnant of you. And so when we understand that, it will give us a perspective when God comes to us. In Genesis chapter 18, first of all in Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and he promises him a child. And like any promise that God gives, it takes a long time before things get fulfilled. 
And Abram and his wife Sarai go through what we go through because of our failure to understand that God intends to finish. When time seems to lapse, they end up resorting to their own means to almost say God helps those who help themselves. So Abraham goes out and gets a child with Hagar. God comes back and said, listen, if I start something, I don't need your help. The only thing I need from you is your cooperation. But I will supply all the resources. I will do it the way I will do it. I don't need your help. And finally, in Genesis 18, God visits Abraham and talks to him. And Sarah is listening to the conversation. And God said, at the turn of time, Next year, this time, your wife is going to be pregnant. And Sarai overhears the conversation and she begins to laugh and says, Does God know how old I am? Does God know that I don't have money? Does God know that I haven't gone to school? Does God know how many times I I failed at this? And God says to Abraham, Why is she laughing? And Sarai is embarrassed. She says, No, I didn't laugh. And God says, I'm even going to call that child laughter. That's the name Isaac. Because I want every time when people look at what I have done, they should remember when they laughed, when you said, God's going to do this in my life. Because when God begins, he will finish. Can I hear an amen? And God finally fulfills his promise. We read the second story of Joseph. At the age of 17, in Genesis 37, he gets a dream. And it's a big dream. It's an amazing dream. It's an earth-moving, earth-shaking dream. But funny enough, after he gets the dream, things fall apart. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. He ends up in a prison. And he's sitting in prison, wondering if what he saw when he was on his knees, if it is true. Some of you are sitting here with the promise of God in your heart. You are watching at home with the promise of God in your heart. But everything around you, when you look at everything around you, it contradicts everything that God told you in that dream, that God told you in that prayer meeting. I'm here to tell you, Joseph, right? Even if you are in prison, God began you and God is going to end you. God started the journey and God's going to bring it to completion. And when all hope was gone, and it seemed like it wouldn't happen, God brings Joseph out of prison. And God fulfills what he had started. Let me prophesy to somebody. Even if this year was interrupted in your life, even if your plans were interrupted in 2020, whatever God has begun in your life, he will bring it to completion no matter how long it takes. Can I hear an amen? Whatever God has told you, he intends to bring to a conclusion. We will see a thousand churches in the name of Jesus in spite of all the disruptions. Because when God begins, he intends to finish. Hallelujah. 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 God will finish in our life. God will finish in your life. Can you give the Lord a big shout? He will finish. Hallelujah. When God met Peter, his name was Simon. And first day Jesus met him, changed his name. <laughs> changed his name from Simon to Peter. And the name Peter means a rock. 
But when you look at Peter's life, the things that he did don't match somebody who's a rock. Jesus called him a rock. Ugutuena. Utaba intimbi enga kubek. Yeah, utaba matrina asuena. But when you look at Peter's life, it is a far cry from the matrinas that Jesus had predicted. But listen to me. Oh, saga ukali lucheso. Ucheso ucha ungumatrinas wena, Peter. He said you are a rock. And if he says you are a rock, don't worry how le paisani honanong. You are still in the process of becoming everything that he says you will be. And finally, we see this guy after he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, his character changes. In the upper room, when they had locked themselves behind the doors and they were running away from the Jews, and when the Spirit came, when the Holy Ghost came, instead of Peter staying behind the locked doors, he went to the doors that were locked and he unlocked them. Instead of walking away from the people who were opposing, he walked towards them and he stood there and he began to preach to them. And he began to tell them, this is, these people are not drunk with wine, in which is success, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days I will pour out my spirit. And he began to preach and preach and preach and the very people who were afraid he was afraid of their hearts are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And one day Peter and John going to the house of prayer, they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer and they see a man who's lying next to the gate asking gifts from them. And when it came to Peter, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the big man begins to rise up and walk. And the religious leaders become infuriated. They are so angry with them that these people are bringing a different doctrine. They are causing confusion. And they bring them up before themselves and they start persecuting them and saying to them, if you don't stop preaching in this name, if you don't stop preaching in this name, we're going to you, we're going to put you in prison. Peter, Matrinas, he stands up and say, whether it is right for you for us to preach or it's wrong, you judge. We can only be able to talk and preach the things that we have seen. We will obey God. We will not obey men. And we see Peter, a different person. And Bible historians tell us that when Peter finally was executed. He was actually crucified like his Lord. And when they were crucifying him, he said, please don't crucify me upside, right side up. I don't want to be in the same position as my Lord. Invert me and put me right side down. I want to honor him and he died as a martyr. When God has begun you, I said when God has begun you, he will bring it to completion. You see, in Genesis 3, after man had fallen into sin, and Satan thought he had destroyed the plan of God. He had interrupted. Because Satan interrupted. And God said, even if you've interrupted my plan, I want you to know. The seed of the woman will come and break your power. And for thousands of years, God was working out a plan to bring about what he had started. And just like the devil, the devil would always interrupt or corrupt the plan. But let me tell you, when you try to stop what God is doing, God already has a second plan on the other side. 
When the children of Israel were in Egypt under bondage, God had a Moses in Midian that he was training. When Abraham was going up the mountain with his son Isaac to offer up a sacrifice that he didn't have, on the other side of the mountain, God was providing a ram that was going up the mountain. God is never taken by surprise by the plans of the enemy. And the book of Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth his son, born of a woman. And he came in and he was born. And Jesus was born into the world at a time determined by God. And he did what God said. Because what God begins, God will bring to conclusion. Please don't ever give up. That God has started you. It means he has an intention. Some of you watching, maybe you started in your walk with God, but you walked away. You walked away. You got discouraged during this lockdown. You started living another way or you never even started. I want to give you an opportunity as you watch to invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be the Savior and the Lord of your life. Right where you are, you can ask Jesus to come into your heart. Will you join me now in prayer? Let us pray. Pray with me if you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart and the congregation will follow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for coming into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.